0: This podcast contains swear words, and two brothers discussing how to make their behavior fit their beliefs. It seems polite to
1: warn you. Trying to like work it, and it's like I haven't even like made anything yet. It's like you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make something, and then like either they'll like it or they won't. You
2: and I. I'm talking philosophically, what's good for you and me, I'm talking philosophically.
0: Welcome to Philosophically Sound, where we explore the music people like, and learn to love the music and people we explore. I'm Tony, Renaissance Jesus look-alike, operatically trained singer, daily meditator, agonizer over words, dangerously creative chef, frenetic and gentle philosopher, improviser of full-length musicals, active listener, and dedicated, joyful teacher.
1: And I'm Gus, often described as Tony's cooler younger brother, an eternal optimist who often needs someone to give him a pep talk. He's got a sense of humor that could charm the horn off a unicorn, an IPA-drinking, fun-loving, snowboarding Colorado surfer who can't seem to escape the spell of corporate money.
0: Today we're exploring the BET Awards and Beyonce's song, Break My Soul. But first... We did new intros today based on our discussion last episode about James Parker's Atlantic article and his descriptions of Lana Del Rey and Miley Cyrus. How did that go for you, Gus? Was that easy
1: to create, hard to create? It was very hard to write mm. about myself, I thought, but I loved yours. A couple of the, the highlights of yours, a dangerously creative chef. I really <laughs> like that. And then the, the Renaissance Jesus look-alike I think was very cool to, to point out Because you do, people always say you look like Jesus But to point out that the rendition The art that was painted of Jesus In the Renaissance is the style of Jesus That you look like uh, I thought that was, that was Right, great.
0: it's the style of Jesus that most Westerners Are familiar with You go to movies like Jesus Christ Superstar you know, yeah. Movie musicals where they portray Jesus I, I look like that I thought yours was pretty good Thank you. Reading it just now,
1: I felt terribly self-indulgent, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was a little more complimentary of myself, I think, than... I mean, he wasn't He was not not complimentary of them. The way he wrote about like the critiques of Lana and Miley, it almost was a compliment the way he wrote it. And so that's what I was trying to do, rip on myself in a complimentary way. True, I also thought about that. The, the one that stuck out from the description of
0: Miley was a twerk appropriator. Yeah. Uh, And then somebody else was a transgressor of some kind. But he didn't list those things as disses so much as like descriptions of things people had said about them, right? Yeah. That's where uh, agonizer over words comes from in mind. I'm like, well, I I do interrupt myself in the middle of sentences in order to find the quote right word. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, I don't know. I thought it went pretty well for for our first attempt at James Parker in our introductions. But maybe we could do it again. Maybe those will evolve. Next,
0: today, we're going to go into a a more philosophically dedicated section of the show. You know that uh, what we say on this show is not always exactly philosophically sound in the academically rigorous sense. But that's okay because we're two brothers having fun trying to make our own preferences more expansive, trying to like more things. And I will also say that I'm very interested in learning about the rigorous academic side of philosophy. And that's what this section of the show is about, is trying to dig into some uh, some philosophy. So I was about to say actual philosophy, but it's interesting to expand the definition of what philosophy could be. But we're going to go for some real classic stuff, Plato, and Plato's dialogues about Socrates. So, and you brought this up, my brother, which is such an excellent idea for us, because I... I, I went on to Reddit. I love the Ask Philosophy subreddit. I think, they, I think they just do a really fantastic job of giving really clear answers about what philosophers throughout time and currently think about various issues. They're very big in the subreddit about like, this isn't about my opinions, me posting. It's about me giving you a rundown of what philosophers out in the world are doing, right? So you can go read and figure out for yourself. We both read Euthyphro, one of Plato's dialogues and in the dialogue if you're totally unfamiliar with this Socrates and another character Euthyphro just have a conversation the whole time it's almost written like what I would think of as a play in the versions we have it says Socrates and then his line and then Euthyphro and then his line and it's all written out that way so it's, it's very theatrical Euthyphro is a person who is considered very very pious very knowledgeable about piety And piousness, piety, this might even be an unfamiliar word to you. It's not a word that most of us are probably using in everyday conversation. Here's a couple definitions from Merriam-Webster. Pious, marked by or showing reverence for a deity and devotion to divine worship. So there might be a very religious connotation there. But you go down a couple definitions to number three, showing loyal reverence for a person or thing. Could be more... General, this piousness, this reverence for whatever it is. Perhaps you are sipping that beer currently in a pious, pious way because you really worship that beer.
1: I'm not, I'm not sipping beer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Euthyphro and Socrates meet outside of the Athenian court. Socrates, because he's been summoned there to. Um, report for impiousness. Somebody's kind of indicting him based on his blasphemy, the this, this stuff that he says about the gods. And Euthyphro's there to prosecute someone for murder. And it turns out he's prosecuting his very own father for committing murder, which leads Socrates to say like, wow, why are you doing this? You must, Euthyphro, have such incredible knowledge of what is just and pious in order to feel so confident in the trying of your own father. Euthyphro says something like, I think it's ridiculous that people would say, don't, don't convict your father of murder just because he's your father. We need to look at whether or not the murder was just or not. And if the murder is unjust, you must prosecute. So Euthyphro right away is kind of painted as having a perhaps black and white view of what justice should be. And through a bunch of, um, through, a, through a dialogue, Socrates asks Euthyphro a bunch of questions about, well, what is pious? Can you define it more clearly for me? And Euthyphro gives him a lot of different definitions, and Socrates keeps asking questions about those definitions, and, you, and usually kind of spinning it around so that Euthyphro comes back and says, yeah, you know what, you're right, Socrates, that's not what being <laughs> pious is. One of the things they talk about first is, okay, well, the pious is everything that the gods love. And the impious is everything that the gods hate. And then Socrates is like, but didn't you also say that all of the gods have different desires and that they like different things from each other and that they fight with each other over these disagreements? And so what's pious for some of the gods wouldn't be pious for others of the gods? And Euthyphra's like, you're right. So that can't possibly be the definition. So they keep spinning around like this. And there's one quote from it that I want to read for us today. Socrates says, quote, I'm afraid, Euthyphro, that when you were asked what piety is, you did not wish to make its nature clear to me, but you told me an affect or a quality of it, that the pious has the quality of being loved by all the gods, but you have not yet told me what the pious is, end quote. And this really reminded me of, I think, why I love philosophy, and I love thinking this way, is that how can we find truth if we don't know what the words we're using mean? Back in a previous uh, a Prelude episode, I talked about a course on philosophy I would taken where someone used the example of freedom. Uh, Alyssa Lowry put on this course, Improve Your Thinking. And she said, you might be arguing about whether or not freedom is a good thing you should pursue. And you might be working with really different definitions of what freedom means to the two of you. So without clarifying those definitions, you're gonna keep spinning around and disagreeing with each other. So I think about this philosophy for this show, the implied for me. And one, one big thing kind of on my mind all the time and, and on my to-do list, so to speak, is firming up the arguments inherent in the implied for me. Trying to think, well, what does it mean? Because one thing I say is, all preferences are equally valid. And immediately I have to say, what the heck do I even mean by valid? What does valid actually mean in this case, right? Does it mean that all preferences are, are good? What if someone has a preference to murder, right? Um, mm. that's, I'm, I'm not trying to lift up the preference for murder uh, in, in such a valid, good way as the preference for Beyonce. Right. Mm. I think of those things on I, totally different levels. I prefer
1: so, Beyonce to murder. I
0: prefer Beyonce to murder personally. To be clear, for the record. Write us at philosophical at gmail.com <laughs> and see like, what do you think? Do you prefer murder or Beyonce? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so what I want to tie this to with award shows today is that award shows are giving an award for the best, the best album of the year, the best new artist of the year. And I'm always interested in this idea because what does it mean to be the best in this case? A lot of times with music, um, we have talked about this before, a lot of times I think with music, we're talking about what's financially the most lucrative, right? What's economically the most successful. Even in um Encyclopedia entries, Wikipedia entries, short little um, blurbs at the beginning of an interview with an artist. People will say, oh, well, this album that they released was unsuccessful. And then their first big success came with this other album. This happened to me with um, Simon and Garfunkel. We were listening to Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., and then listening to Bridge Over Troubled Water, the first and last albums that they recorded together. And Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. is considered unsuccessful financially. When I listen to the album, I'm like, their singing is gorgeous. The songs that they're writing are amazing. The arrangements they do of other songs are really, really creative and fun. And so I think to myself, how is this unsuccessful if it's in tune and well produced and well thought out? It's just because it didn't sell as many copies. So in addition to the implied for me being Beyonce is the best singer of all time for me, which is a thing that I do think, by the way. <laughs> we could also say Beyonce's albums are incredibly successful financially. The implied financially of, of like music criticism, a lot of times. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah well, that album's probably not worth your time financially.
1: Yeah. Two, two interjections. Um, one, I often describe revenue as a result. Of achieving the mission, like in the corporate world, right? So people are worried about making money and and I'm always like, look, if you do, if you accomplish the mission, you follow the strategy and you do the X's and O's, uh, we're going to make the money, right? So don't, don't even worry about the money, follow the strategy. And so, you know, if you think of money as a result, then perhaps you could think of it as a proxy for success being, being, hey, we've done all the things right, and as a result, people like it, and they're willing and able to pay money for it. Now, I'm sure in there that's not entirely true, right? Because then there's sort of a value judgment. And I'm going to contradict myself right here. I was listening to... Uh, it was a blink for a book by Rick Rubin called The Creative Act. And a blink is just a summary on that app Blinkist. And one of, so the creative act, it's like, how do you be more creative, right? Oh, I don't feel like an artist. Where do you find inspiration from? Where do you do all these things? And one of the things he's saying in there kind of at the end is, is art is just sort of a calling, right? It's the universe sending you signals and, and take those signals and do something with it for the sake of creating. Don't do it for the goal of, of, whatever making money or the goal of fame or like whatever it's just like follow that urge to to be a creator and anyone can do it and and i'm probably not doing it complete justice but so i think i i I feel like that's more how you might value art or if you talk about success by like hey you created it it's beautiful it's wonderful people are appreciating it that's successful Who cares if the result isn't money? Could we measure the impression and the inspiration and the happiness that that gives people?
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's what for me, this has sometimes been a paralyzing contradiction. This idea that like I'm a musician by trade, meaning I'm music is like my most cultivated skill. You know, So when I think about, well, what can I do to make money in the world? Because I do need to make money to do certain things, like eat food.
1: Mm, food. It's pretty important. Food is necessary for humans. Dangerously creative chef.
0: Dangerously creative <laughs> chef,
1: right. And when you
0: have to create in order to make money for your basic needs, it becomes a more interesting question. And we'll actually get into this later with some of the... Um, South African hip hop artists who are featured at the BT Awards. I have a quote that we'll get into later about how um, that you know pursuing different genres and different creative acts can be a mode for not only lifting yourself up economically, but your whole entire community, your whole town, mm. your whole culture potentially. That yeah. that'll become a big idea today, I think. And so I yeah I dig that idea that at the same time if you have the only goal being like, I make, I have to make money. I'm sure that works for some people, but for me personally, it's a little, it's a little, uh, strangling. It's a little like, well, but I'm supposed to be doing something that I feel specifically called to do with my interests and skills and combination of influences, you know?
1: Well, and as we've talked about before, referencing the prelude with Nickelback. Yeah. What was that song? How You Remind Me was written with the intent of being a hit. Uh, and research was done on, on kind of other hits and things and put into that and, and guarantee that's not the only example of, of people who write a song to be a hit it happens all the time right. and so the question is would you have made different choices and, and put out different art if you weren't so concerned with that result of making money at the back end and, and I think the answer at least for you is, is yes so what does that do to the art and, and that's, that's the existential question I guess but
0: it is an existential question, and but perhaps uh, advice for any creative folks out there that might be listening, and advice I've been trying to follow myself, is that it is true that done is better than perfect. Oh, That's God, something nice. that really applies to what we're doing right now. We've set up this schedule for this podcast where we get one episode out a month we were just speaking before like we haven't done enough research we're not prepared enough <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because what, what do we mean not enough research for what not, not prepared enough for what for people to start subscribing $100 a month on Patreon maybe we're right about that <laughs> but but committing to finishing this product committing to going on this journey of expanding our preferences together committing to practice expressing our ideas in a clear manner is what will lead us to the balance of creating something that we love that is also able to garner us a little extra cash.
1: Dude, I'm working through this thing at work, like this project that I've sort of been promoting and thinking about and sort of developing the ideas about and sort of the strategy like for months. And I, I just like, I just feel like not good about it and I have conversations with people and then they give me more ideas and then I'm like I'm trying to like work it. And it's like, I haven't even, like, made anything yet. It's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make something, and then, like, either they'll like it or they won't, but until you make something, it's really hard to, like, you can debate into the clouds all day long. So that uh, statement is resonating with me currently in my personal life. Let's get
0: into talking about some other stuff that people made at the BET Awards and all the various artists and different songs and videos that were that were lifted up there yeah and before we get into that i do want to give you a disclaimer this is maybe like sort of the hottest like fastest topic we've ever talked about the bt words were just like a couple weeks ago and we we're like whoa we're making a podcast about it right away so current so current which is not uh my style generally <laughs> i'm generally the, the last of the party But I want to give a little disclaimer for people. Maybe you showed up here looking for more deep analysis of the BET Awards. And we will give you some analysis of the BET Awards, but here's what you should know. If you're looking for super detailed analysis and about 50 years of hip-hop by experienced experts, we're not the right folks for you. We're trying to like more things and share our excitement about a variety of music to inspire others and to get outside their known preference and expand what you like, too. Now, Gus and I, we've listened to hip-hop and R&B many times before, but we also don't even know what we don't know. And there are likely cultural and historical connections in the music that we'll miss or just completely not talk about. Yeah. So if you're down to hear us geek out and get excited about a bunch of music that's a little more new to us, keep listening.
1: May I add one thing to that wonderful disclaimer? Please. Uh, Socrates, remember our friend Socrates? Uh, I was reading a bit about him. And a quote, Socrates is known for proclaiming his total ignorance. He used to say that the only thing he was aware of was his ignorance, seeking to imply that the realization of our ignorance is the first step in philosophizing. So I'm going to channel Socrates today and declare maybe not my total, but my near total ignorance in this topic and, and have fun philosophizing.
0: Yes. In fact, another piece of advice to folks out there, I highly recommend that if you're trying to get your ideas organized for philosophy, start a podcast. There, there's, there's a thought in my head sometimes that's like, well, shouldn't you get organized first and practice first and then make the podcast? But again, the commitment to doing the thing, the commitment to showing it to other people who, are we, who we are in relationship with and community with, that is the commitment that makes the work actually get done. And the work getting done is what makes us better and more organized. Facts. Boom. So <laughs> fucking love that you brought, that you found that Socrates. I, I want to say to like, I gave you this to read and at first you were like, whoa, it's like 11 at night.
1: I can't read this. And you found that quote though, which kind of like got you inspired to get back into it later. Socrates can be heady at 11 at night after a beer or two. It's like, whoa. It's heady shit. Yeah. There's like long sentences you got to follow. It's a little tough. The
0: last Socrates quote too, is that Euthyphro, they're trying to get clear about the definition (laughs) of piety again. It's like, uh, Oh, maybe piety is like trading between humans and gods. And, um, Euthyphro says, sure, trading if you like, if you prefer. And Socrates says, I prefer nothing unless it is true. It's <laughs> just like, again,
1: bike drop moment for Socrates. Doesn't, doesn't that interaction end with Euthyphro just being like, I have to go. <laughs> yes. Actually, this is really important to say, is that
0: like one hole in the applied for me, you could even say is like, okay, Sure. I could expand my preferences. I could make myself like anything. But who's got the fucking time for that? One thing that you need to know is that if you want to try to expand what you like, I don't think that you can just snap your fingers and have it happen. You'll have to practice liking more things, which will take time. And yes, at the end of the dialogue, Socrates is like, well, again, I still feel like we don't know what piety means. And Euthyphro's like, it's time for my case. I got to go, Socrates. (laughs) Socrates is like, oh, woe is me. I shall never learn from your wisdom, Euthyphro. It's Sometimes Socrates seems like he's making fun of Euthyphro in this to me, but that's probably like a modern mind thinking about this
1: thousands of year old text. I mean, so. he, he could be reasoning it out. Might not. Yeah, yeah. Could you be ripping on him? Probably both, you know, probably both. Oh,
0: and one more thing, because our listeners might dig this too. I've been listening to the Unmute podcast, which is all about philosophy and seems to be put on by people who have degrees in philosophy and they really know what the fuck they're talking about. (laughs) I listened to an episode... With a person named Brianna Toole, I believe is her name. And she started a nonprofit organization called Corrupt the Youth, where she goes into uh, low-income schools and teaches middle school and high school students philosophy. She says she introduces it to them by saying, I know y'all argue with your parents and your principal's. After this class, you're finally going to win an argument. (laughs) And she based the name for this organization, Corrupt the Youth, on the charge that was leveled against Socrates, which is that he was corrupting the youth of Athens against the leadership of Athens, teaching them to question the leader's authority and be like, well, why? Because sometimes in that time, the authority was based on, you know, the divine force of a god. Well, I'm here because the gods chose me to lead you. And I think one one of Socrates' things is like, well, let's examine all the things that that, that means. And then people start questioning authority, and they're like, well, we got to kill this guy because he's asking too many questions. So, if you're a philosopher who's an expert in Socrates and you feel moved to spend your time doing this, which I don't think you should f- have to do, but email us if we got something like totally fucking wrong. But um, I'm I open think, to I learning. Think we're on the right track. Open That's to learning. That's the other thing. We are open to learning. The BET Awards. I watched a bunch of stuff from this. Um, fucking loved the Busta Rhymes tribute. So this was also celebrating 50 years of hip hop, um, which is cool. It's very, very because like a lot of you know a lot of pioneers in that Busta Rhymes especially um, are in, the, in their like. I think he said he signed his first contract with a record label at 17. Oh, he, he thanks his mom in his acceptance speech for the Lifetime Achievement Award. Buster Rhymes getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. And he thanks his mom for signing that first contract when he was 17. Because, of course, somebody over 18 probably needed to sign it. So these kids who were, these people who were teenagers when this art form was just getting started are, you know, 50 years old or older now. Which is just sort of a fascinating thing to think about the the flow of time and how... Think about something really old school, like the crooning style of Frank Sinatra now seems totally archaic to perhaps a 13-year-old today, right? You might pull up, a 13-year-old today might pull up and and hear Frank Sinatra and think like, why is he singing like that? What are those instruments in the background? And if you're a 13-year-old listening to this podcast, email us and tell us what do you think of Frank Sinatra? We'd love to know. So I love the tribute, um, the tribute got me hip to the hip hop group MOP. I was just loving, um, it's, uh, it's Bill, Bill Dance. Bill Dance was, um, doing the super, super fast articulate rap. And the other guy next to him was like tapping on his cheeks as he did it. It was like such a, it was such a funny and just cool thing to, to watch them do, I, I love to like how relaxed his body is as he's delivering that really really fast rapid fire easy to understand language. And there was so there are all these other tributes kind of mixed into this. Again, I watched a 12 minute video of that tribute which which had obviously cut out some of the parts of it. So they put on a whole
1: fucking show to yeah. honor Buster Rhymes there. It was cool. Yeah. You have a highlight reel of the full performance within the show yeah and you know and i guess some people probably
0: criticize for taking up too much time and for me i'm sort of all about it i'm like i'm here That's to awesome. pay attention to what's happening so
1: buster arms he uh i love in his speech he said like the ogs are still looking good and then he like <laughs> <you> know, just, <laughs> yeah he pops his collar but, yeah just the chin but <laughs> but um yeah, how, how cool to be at the forefront of an art form You're getting honored for it. And I think you were telling me or I was reading that, you know, he, he'd never won a, a Grammy or a BET or sort of one of those other awards for songs or albums or, or whatnot. And so, um, definitely the appreciation from him was there for the lifetime. And I think from the audience too, you know, everyone know, knowing, you know, how much he's influenced them and, and all sorts of stuff, but.
0: And so one, one like quick take on awards shows in general, too. I would say, is an award show a measurement of what's best? No. Based on our philosophy implied for me, there's nothing that is the universal best, right? Yeah. What it is, it's the best for uh, the 500 voting members of this like academy. Is an award show like an encyclopedia of wonderfully made music that you might dig? Absolutely fucking yes. Yeah, I, th- I think this is what award shows are actually so great for. Is like, you take you take two uh, two average schmoes like you and I, and we come to the award the BT awards and we're like, look at all these amazing people who we never heard of before because we don't you know seek it out and pay attention. So I have a plan to just like. I don't really have a playlist for this episode done yet, may not for a little while. I'm building it slowly with just all the different things that I learn about and, and uh, that I think relate to each other and influence yeah, yeah. and connect with each other. It's going to be really fun for me building this playlist and getting to know a bunch of new music based on not just the winners of each category, but the other finalists in each category. Yeah. Another standout for me from this was uh, Zop. You know what I didn't even fucking look up is how to pronounce her name. How would you say it? Future Tony here. It's SZA. This would be a good example of preparing enough. Look up how to say all of the names you're going to say. Feedback for future episodes, past Tony. But as Gus is about to say... Proclaim my ignorance. (laughs) Yep, proclaim (laughs) ignorance. Her music is so cool. I I love her voice. I love as I was listening to the album SOS, which tied um, for best album of the year with Renaissance by Beyonce. I'm listening to SOS and I just I love the variety of song construction I was getting on here. Mm. Some things were just looped chord progressions with beats and she's delivering, you know, sort of still sung, but rapid fire lyrics more in the style of rap. And then other songs sounded like 90s pop songs with a sort of gentle, simple verse, and a pre-chorus launching into a really soaring melody and a chorus. That, I, and so I was just really struck by the the variety and construction of song, and not really in genre so much, but in yeah. the type of song that's being offered on the album. I was really digging that. Yeah. Some other people I started really digging were Uncle Waffles and Ko, who are South African rappers, and. I want to read one of these quotes from that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So South African rapper KO will link to this article. This rapper said, quote, Being here and being nominated is quite an honor. It's also a motivational moment, not only for myself, but for people who are coming from shanty towns like myself back home. When I first started back home, hip hop was almost nowhere in the commercial space. And being one of the people who is spearheading the genre back home to now it being one of the leading commercial sounds, so many people are able to now feed their families and invest in the community through hip hop, end quote. Damn. And I just wrote a note to myself that this is where the economics of music is deeply important and relevant. The ability to feed one's family with their trade, just like any other human with a job. Yeah. Yeah. I as I as we said already, I get caught up in the economic implications of music and think like, ah, I can't focus on money because then I, like, I'm too hard on myself or something. But I can't just focus on aimless creativity because that won't finish something either, right? It's like this this balancing of those two effects. I do have a child and a wife who would love for me to make money, you know, with (laughs) with the way that I spend mine, spend my time.
1: Well, and how powerful to. Uh, To talk about the entire community, uh, you know, making money from that. Um, You know, I think of this is probably not related at all, but a little bit. uh, Nikolai Jokic, the Joker from uh, Denver Nuggets, who is Serbian, and I don't know how much like money he brings to his town, but they definitely all root for him and are excited for him, like you know, being on the Nuggets. So like, just that that uh, ripple effect. I guess is what I'm thinking. Like this guy being an international star from that town in South Africa can, can then bring notoriety and, and uh, now there's maybe a music scene and people want to move there to be part of that scene. Um, just like, like I don't know, LA is a big music scene or whatever because you want to be around other artists like you that collaborate. So uh, you know, I wonder yeah. too about that sort of like spitballing or that, that next generation that is influenced that, from that area that want to move to that area. And, and how that can, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, you want to get there and be to. part of this new this new art, this new, yeah. this new revolution, like this Paris. new act of
1: creation. You know, let's go to Paris. That's where all the writers are and the artists, you know.
0: Yeah, so. there was a time in history where, where that was true, right. Yeah, whatever. What did you experience in your watching of videos, and what did you like? What, what seemed notable to you?
1: Well, the first thing is that the highlight show had no... Like announcing or like audio, like there was no like telling me who I was watching. It was just like clip ah. to clip to clip, which is kind of hilarious. But then I started reading stuff and I could sort of piece it together. Cool. Um, I mean, I think I think the the amount of performances and and how every performance was a production and all the dancing, uh, and it just looked like a really fun show to be at. <laughs> now one one interesting side note there is a writers strike and now an actor strike going on um the unions for both those groups um are on strike advocating for better wages and, and work conditions and I think the AI has a sticking point in there but um, yep. but but uh so there was no host for this one normally you have some host m- cracking jokes and instead there was a DJ who was hosting um and just kind of like kept the hype going uh, and I forget the name of this DJ but it was kind of a fun i I don't know I kind of liked that vibe just have like like treat it like a party with a like at my wedding I had a DJ and she was wonderful and she did yeah. the music but she was the master of ceremonies too and she didn't crack a ton of jokes maybe like one or two but it was really all about the art form well sorry she made it all about me and me and my wife where this DJ I felt like made it all about the art form in the 50 years of hip-hop where sometimes the, the comedian can kind of make it about themselves and their jokes and, and ripping on people. And, and I enjoy that, but it was kind of cool to see the the, uh, the other way of doing things.
0: Yeah, I dig that too. I almost wondered, because when I watched some videos and saw, they would they would shout at everybody, okay, jump, jump. And you'd see people in the front jumping, but you wouldn't see everybody at the show jumping. And I almost wondered, like, you know, you're in this, Seat in like a theater in an auditorium. I Not the vibe, i can imagine. Yeah. Well, I could just imagine like jumping and being like, oh, "Fuck!" I just bumped into this person next to me. Like, I wonder about having award shows like this. Fuck the seats. Like, have some seats in the back, but have a much bigger open area in the front where people could walk in and out and get drinks and food and stuff. Because I know four hours at a music festival, fucking great time. Great time. I can I can take a break, go pee. I can get a beer. I can get a snack four hours sitting down in a seat in a dark theater. That's like watching a well, Wagnerian opera and uh, <laughs> less, less fun for me.
1: What do you think? What do you think? Cause you know, you look at the Oscars or let's just take the Oscars. They're all the stars are sitting there at their tables and, and you've got the camera panning to them and you're seeing the reactions and stuff. And, and, but like as a musical artist, you know, you like when people are going crazy for your concert and you have all these famous artists in one room, do you think, I'll, we'll just ask for you, would you prefer to be at a table in front with your, you know, your wife, or, or would you want to be up dancing, like grooving the whole time?
0: If you were invited. What I'm, I think what I'm saying is I'd like to be able to do both. I'd like yeah. to be able to dance for an hour to two hours of the four-hour production, and be able to go sit down and relax somewhere a little further away from the music for part of it, too. You know, yeah. I, I wonder if there's a bit of an expectation where it's like, well, we got to I got to sit here and pay attention to this whole thing, you know, which would be hard for any human. I think yeah. pay attention to four for four hours to to music and speeches.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like the the it's one thing I don't like about those award shows is how like that you always have to see the audience and what they're doing. It's like let the audience do whatever they want and then and then just let us watch the show. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting because a couple times, especially during the of Rhymes tribute, I loved when they would shoot, um, they'd get a shot of somebody who is mouthing all the lyrics perfectly along at the same time from yeah, the audience. That's like, point. that's, that's kind of neat. Right. So maybe it's about, I don't know, it's about what you show, right? I'm sure we'll come back to this kind of analysis yeah. and critique of award shows in the future. Yeah, Any other going down the weeds. It's okay. Any other artists or... Um, yeah, any other musicians that stuck out to you that you dug?
1: No, I I didn't know a lot of people, a lot of artists, and I was like, "Damn, I I got a lot of listening to do." <laughs> so my so
0: my playlist will be good for you too. We can have a lot of You know, what what I would say too is that even when I encountered people who I hadn't heard of before, I liked every single thing that I encountered. Yeah, Which again correct. might have been Our mindset, right? I came into this with a very open mindset, but I didn't see anything where I'm like, oh, that's not for me. Everything was appealing and exciting to me.
1: Yeah, so that was kind of the revelation too. It it was like, I don't know these people, but this music's great. Where have I been? What have I been doing? You know, (laughs) it was like a little bit of embarrassment of myself for not knowing this stuff, even though... I, you know, no one was judging me for that besides myself, but yeah, well, that's uh we are pretty good at judging ourselves.
0: Aren't we us humans? Let's talk about Beyonce. First of all, I want to say, uh, I just want to express my preference. I fucking love Beyonce. Um, Beyonce of course has been on my radar forever because it's, I feel like this is interesting where you might come to the BET awards and not know a lot of these newer folks or even some of these older folks, You probably know Beyonce. If you don't know who Beyonce is, as you're listening to this, write us an email. Tell me what that's like. That's interesting. (laughs) And, um, but it's like, she's so prevalent. She's so just everywhere in, um, in our, in our culture, you know, there's movies, Mm. there's music, there's music videos, there's articles. She's got fashion lines. She's got, she has an empire for sure. Is is Beyonce
1: a verb yet? Probably should be. Did you just Beyonce that? I don't. Which means to
0: just like totally own something to just be like the absolute
1: best. Yeah, like have absolute (laughs) like presence. Like man, you you had a lot of Beyonce up there on stage. Yeah, presence. I don't know. I'm trying to make that catch on. (laughs) (laughs) You keep going. I think I think he has a future. (laughs) Some of the things
0: I love about Beyonce, I'll just talk about her singing voice first. The warmth. The balance of warmth and brightness in her voice I find exceptional. It's just so, it's dark, and yet it's crispy and bright at the same time. It's like forward released, but it's got this depth to it. And then with that perfectly balanced tone, uh, you know, for me, perfectly balanced, she's able to move her voice so quickly through really, really fast runs. There's a fancy term I'll introduce you to here, the melisma. Whoa. Melisma just means you're singing one
2: word, multiple notes. Ah, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah. ha, ha. As Malisma, opposed to.
1: Melisma, melisma.
0: <laughs> as opposed to, I am singing fast, I am singing fast, where each one of those notes has an individual syllable, mm, an individual okay. part of a word, right? I am singing fast. That's a melisma because nice. I've done multiple notes on each one. So melismas are kind of what pop music nowadays is all about. People fucking love melismas. And there's a, sometimes singers get criticized for doing too many melismas. Christina Aguilera, I've heard criticized for this before. And of course, this is just a matter of personal preference and taste. I'll tell you what I love about singers singing melismas is that it sounds like a pure expression of joy to me Hmm. it's like a it sounds less to me like they're trying to show off and more like they're just trying to add extra emotional character to the word that they're singing so beyonce has this perfect blend for me of tone quality of agility and then the songs themselves that she sings how she chooses to write she's almost always writing with a team of people so she has writing credit on pretty much every song she's produced i think um but she's working with other people who i'm sure are they're all working together on the groove the melody the chords the rhythms the lyrics and i think that what she and her team produces are just always really awesome they really jive with me the lyrics seem you know relatable enough to be pop music which is a a sort of category to begin with right um Mm. she's not she's not doing deep philosophical diatribes in any of her songs Mm. the way that some uh Non-pop music. Not, not talking
1: about Socrates usually in her songs. Yeah, not
0: usually talking about Socrates. Although that might be coming down the pipeline from Beyonce. You know, never say never. And also that the melodies themselves are catchy. That the subjects of the songs, I find, I find, what's the right word? You know how sometimes people can sing. You know. Everyone's going to have their own individual preference about this, of course. And there might be subjects in a song that people sing about where you're like, why the fuck are you singing about that? Mm. Whatever that might be for you. For me, I love the subjects that Beyonce chooses. She's often singing about, what's the right way? She's often singing about love, uh, especially in her early career, like Destiny's Child and Post-Destiny's Child. But she sings about it in such a way that she's in control of what's happening i feel like she rarely is singing about love in a in a way that says like oh i i can't get the love that need. she's always like proclaiming the joyousness of the love that she's experiencing which is just up my alley yeah i was gonna say like
1: like, like there's a lot of empowerment uh in her lyrics and her songs and sort of the music behind that um which i think is relatable and inspirational for people
0: and break my soul is no exception Break my soul really like digs into some very inspirational text. Yeah. So let's listen to it together right now, and then we will break it down.
1: Beyonce. Jo, 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 jo.
2: This
1: song makes me want to drink beer. Looking for something that that lives lives inside me. Dude, I'm ready to go to a Beyonce concert. Fuck Taylor Swift. I'm saying it here. Saying it live. Wait, what did you just say? (laughs) Just kidding. Taylor Swift's great. yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. God bless America. What a song.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you like that song?
1: i like that song
0: i like that song too and i was a little surprised by my liking of it i think because it is it's not only a repetitive chord progression the way that most pop songs are repetitive chord progression Mm -hmm. it's only two chords for the vast majority of the song and it's it's a funny thing though that's only a thought that i'm having because i'm aware of like harmony and playing those chords at all and I have a bias from my training of like well it's only two chords it must be like simple basic right but of course there's nothing really simple or basic about all the vocal harmonies that are layered in the background and there's nothing simple about like all the there's all these different stops that they put in there's these intricate rhythm patterns working together even though it's just two chords simple harmony there's so much intricacy in the other musical elements that make it up
1: yeah that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I could tell you why I like it, but I want to tell you why my wife likes it. I asked her, <gasps> nice. Do you like this song? And she's like, Yes, I love that song. They play it at her gym uh, when they're doing workout classes to get pumped up. And and basically, you know, to, to sum it up, you know, she said it's like it, it makes you feel like girl power, you can do it, it's empowering, but not in a a sexual way where a lot of songs are like, yeah, you're that girl, like shake your booty, like all that sort of stuff. But this one's just like, go get it, girl. And it's a great song to work out to because that's sort of what you need to hear while you're like winded. Right. So I thought that was really cool.
0: That's awesome. I love, yeah. I love that focus on empowering, but not necessarily in a sexual way.
1: As you said, like love and just, you can do it. Yeah.
0: I mean, she's got these lines looking for something that lives inside me looking for something that lives inside me you won't break my soul it's a yeah it's yeah. A, it's really quite poetic a lot of these lyrics i think in that it's poetic in that it's not saying something super directly but it's searching for something a little intangible i like yeah. that about it too now very helpful in my analysis here in fact doing most of my work for me because it's just <laughs> such a fantastic analysis is an article from stereo gum by vivek madala and this a uh, composer, has written quite a few articles like this, breaking down the music theory of Beyonce's Break My Soul, and he's done a lot of other songs, too. He has, interestingly, we're going to get to calling out influences, right? And one of my deep influences that I just try to bring up every show is How to Survive the End of the World, Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown, who the Brown sisters put on this awesome podcast. I listened to one of their uh, episodes from earlier this year where they're giving a keynote address to the WYWCA, and Adrian says something that really jives with me. She's like, one thing I've since becoming a published author and more people are following me on Instagram, you know, a lot of strangers follow her now who, because she's that level of bigness. And she says, I'm always trying to show up, not as an individual, but as part of a collective and a lineage of thought, trying to show up and call out other people who have influenced me as I'm doing this because she notices a tendency for people to put one name on a thing. And that's totally what happens with Beyonce too. But so something I want to call out here is that one of their influences, a person I've learned about is Grace Lee Boggs, who is a philosopher and an activist. She's uh, credited with this quote, change yourself to change the world. Mm. And Grace Lee Boggs had a directed a documentary about her own life and her work of activism and, guess who wrote the music for that documentary vivek madala who wrote this article for breaking down the music theory beyond beyonce's break my soul when i figured that out i was like oh my influences are connected it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) this is pretty fucking cool so vivek i hope um i hope you hear this someday you're cool man (laughs) cool dude (laughs) cool dude um first thing lovely thing about this article is that he calls out some of the um one of the samples being used the voice the the really energetic voice in the background release your anger release your mind release your job release the time that's coming from a song by big fridia future tony here again that should have been big frida you could probably tell the amount we've prepared based on how many times you hear from me future tony I'm going to go ahead and correct all the subsequent pronunciations. And that song automatically has gone onto the playlist. It's called Explode. The song is called Explode by Big Frida. And Big Frida has been sampled and used on Beyonce's 2016 album, Lemonade, which was my first like deep dive into Beyonce. Um, I listened to Lemonade and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> this Lemonade is a visual album and I... And I purchased that when it came out and and watched the whole entire thing and I was just sucked into this world that I didn't fully understand but that I was just addicted to like that just the, the visual storytelling the the way that each song flows and just perfectly transitions into the next one there's like thematic there's melodic thematic elements by which I mean little bits of a melody are used at the beginning of a song and then those bits of melody are used in like the accompaniment of the next song that that's such a rare thing for pop albums to do to like have that kind of thematic musical connection as well as just like thematic lyrical connection so one of the many reasons that i love beyonce her album, Renaissance, that Break My Soul comes from, is similar in that it flows from song to song. It's like one gigantic party that you could just put on and, and listen yeah, to. I um, agree. So, highly recommend doing that if you haven't done it. Same thing with Saza's uh, SOS, the songs just like really work well together, which is sometimes an underappreciated. I think thing for albums in an age in which folks might want to put more single songs out on Spotify so that they can get more plays of of different sorts of different I, sorts of things, you know.
1: Preference for me, I love listening to full albums. It's probably how I was raised, buying CDs and just listening to the whole CD and and you do get that kind of that story one of those first albums that you're describing like that's sort of a thematic thing for me was green day's american idiot and and that was sort of hailed as a sort of punk rock operatic type thing but it brings in different elements throughout it right and uh, yeah and uh but interestingly enough with with uh this album from beyonce again talking to my wife we were listening to it and and the first couple songs have a totally different sound groove subject matter than than break my soul and she and she was kind of like wait this is this is beyonce like this is the same album right and so you won't be disappointed by listening to the whole thing quite a lot of variety and intricacy right. in
0: it takes you on a journey yeah let's dig into some of the harmony here. I always dig into harmony because it's one of my favorite things about music, and that's the bias that you're getting by listening to me. We're in the key of G sharp minor, and it starts with a minor seven chord. So right here, I'll go through the
2: numbers. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, one, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one.
0: a seven chord, as we've talked about before, uses the one, the three, the
2: five, and the seven. One, three, five, seven.
0: And that chord changes to the four chord. Four. And the four chord is also a minor seven chord. Four,
2: six, one, three. Then
0: we've got this really active rhythm. There's a there's a kick drum, or more likely a synthesized instrument, going thump, 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 thump. The four-on-the-floor feel that we've talked about before. But over that, there's this very engaging syncopation using 16th-note divisions. Remember, in a beat, we can divide a beat into any number of divisions we want. Um, jazz does funky things like fives and sevens. But here we're dividing into groups of four and groups of two. So one, two, three, four, one and two and three and four and one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. And accenting different parts of the one E and a, two E and a is what gets the really interesting and groovy rhythm here. I think this is also part of why I don't mind listening to a repetitive song. For such a long time, this song is like over four minutes long, which is sort of long for a really hit song in today's world anyways, maybe Mm -hmm. in all times. But I find it's not repetitive to listen to because the groove is so intricate it's so it's so bouncy it drives itself forward so much so there's this rhythm from a high um synthesizer organ line which uh in the article that madala wrote he, go, he goes into this sound and how it comes from 90s house music and using this exact like patch is uh, sort of an homage to some of these older styles <laughs> like this really syncopated thing happening over that straight four and I'm not even playing it exactly correct because we don't have enough time to prepare what is (sighs) enough time what is enough time but so that um this already tickles my fancy because there's seven chords too that's the that language is what makes me made me feel confident that i could try a sinatrification of this which we'll do in just a little bit that seven chord language is so um idiomatic for for frank's music in that time and i just love seven chords i think they sound so they sound so squishy and soft yeah i think squishy is the academic term there too Then what's really cool is that the chords in the chorus of this song change from the first chorus to the second chorus. Instead of going straight from that one chord to that four chord, they first go from the one chord to a flat two chord. So if we were thinking of this key, and Beyonce certainly uses this note, this two
2: Two,
0: one. She's using that note, so she's in the traditional key of G-sharp minor. But now this bass note that comes in is not the two, but the flat two, a half step down. Now what's cool about that is if you play the same chord in your right hand on the piano that you were playing before, this four minor chord, but change the bass note, the changed bass note Duh-da. you can keep that chord the same but with this new bass note you're getting this fresh um, sort of exciting and surprising quality and Madala points out in his article that sh- this change happens after, just after Beyonce sings the lyrics that she needs a new foundation a new vibration and of course this is literally a new harmonic foundation new pitch vibrations right so it's a it's a cute little reference for those of
1: us in that the was note. that was and probably now, an accident that they did that right <laughs> i bet it was on purpose dude nah, you're being I'm, facetious aren't you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's facetiousness is so over my head i'm too i'm an agonizer over words you know i can't mm. so all that is part of what i love about the song then the song makes really good use of texture like there's all of these thick elements together in the chorus, the "You Won't Break My Soul," but then it really gets sparse. There's just that four on the floor and the little synth line, and some of that the piano line goes away. The sample of um Big Frida goes away, and it gives us space to really just focus on what Beyonce is saying. And some of these lyrics are are pretty relatable she she gets into a i just fell in love i just quit my job damn they work me so so damn hard the um the lick she sings here i think is is again like i feel like this stuff is all on purpose with beyonce at this point on the lyric work me so damn hard she sings a lick that is kind of hard to sing (laughs) because that's the thing that she could do right
2: damn they work me so damn hard Yeah, something like
0: that. So this is where I love, love singing along with Beyonce. and try to, A lot of times I play Beyonce, I pause, I try to sing it myself. I go back, I play her again, I pause, I try to sing it myself. It's that's, such a great way to learn how to sing these lyrics, I think.
1: funny because the way that I sing Beyonce, it, it's kind of like a button mash on a video game controller where you just try to sing as many random notes as you can, but, it's, <laughs> but not actually trying to uh, imitate it accurately yeah here I think you know this is this is worth it because in other analyses you 'll get
0: you know people really trying to teach you something here here let 's teach you something for a second. Um, you should learn how to sing this it 's actually not that hard if you um, <clears throat> break it down slowly. The word hard is here 's a philosophical diatribe. What do you mean by hard? If something is hard, a lot of times I think that really just means that it takes a lot of time to do. Mm. But if you spend the time doing the thing, and you get good at the thing, the hard thing is no longer hard. It's easy. So what is it ever really hard to begin with, or just time consuming? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, that, so that's try this. Point. You got to have a learner mindset. Learner mindset, Lerner right? Learner mindset.
2: Hard. Sing that for me. Hard. Hard.
0: So now we do a little flip above. We go
2: hard,
0: hard. Now on the flip above, make sure you don't lose the ease of that ah sound. It's easy to get thrown off of your ah, like ah.
2: But you want to keep
0: that same vowel, that ah. <coughs>
2: Slower. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Ready? (laughs) So we've separated it into two little chunks, right? Now we need to make it all smooth. (laughs)
2: Hard. So damn hard, so damn hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's like a little slow, but you're getting the idea, right? If you worked that out over the course of weeks, you'd be able to sing that lick as smoothly as Beyonce can.
1: That's too time consuming. I'm going to (laughs) try to replace the word hard in my vocabulary with time consuming. I love that. I think I'm going to write that down. That's my challenge for next time. Yeah, that's our challenge between now and the next episode. Is it hard, or is it just time-consuming? I'm a lot better at that than when I started, so thank you. See, there you go. And that only took, uh, I don't know, a minute, two minutes. There you go. The other interesting
0: thing about this song, there's lots more we could say about the melody, but you want to hear me symmetrify it, so I'm not going to get into
1: that. interrupt you i already interrupt you please oh, I, I love that can I, I, interu- do, <laughs> I do them, can i interrupt you it's like you already did so whatever <laughs> just go for it i this is like a person who doesn't want to listen just wants to get their point in that's what i'm doing right now but mm. the remember when we talked about dolly parton and she does in nine to five and then beyonce did the nine to five and we talked about like does Dolly Parton work in nine to five? Does it matter? And I had that thought during this song, and I wanted to get yeah, to, I wanted to get to your take on it. I mean, because obviously the song is about finding it yourself and and inspiration, and it spoke to Haley and like a millions of people around the world. But uh, what are your thoughts on those lyrics?
0: Yeah, I think the lyrics they're simple enough to encapsulate a feeling that many people have undoubtedly experienced, especially in our community where, you know, where we live in the, in the United States. Um, I've totally quit a job without a plan for what I was going to do next. I did that a couple of years ago. It yeah, was baby. really fucking stressful, but it was also so completely the right thing to do. It like, is that cause that job was making me feel, I felt so depressed for 42 hours every single week. You know, I would come home and have such a great time with my family. And then, but then I finally got out of that job and it's uh, taken a while to adjust to being out of the job and to being an entrepreneur and being on my own. But like, as I, cause I thought the same thing actually about this lyric. I'm like, oh yeah. Is that a thing Beyonce has had to deal with recently? No, probably not. Um, But it still seems like, of course she's capable of understanding what that is like and, so she's capable of putting it into lyrics with her team too. I'm sure she has people working with her. We're like, what if we phrase it this way? Side note, I would be so excited to have like the different drafts of songs that Beyonce
1: works on. I would love to see them in their be early
0: stages. Yeah. That would be really cool.
1: Also, you know, to, to my point that I made, I don't think it matters. I think it's a great song. The message yeah. is great. I don't think it matters if she's experienced that exact thing or not. And and the the other thing that just occurred to me is... I just heard that the great resignation is over in terms of statistics, meaning, um, not as many Uh. people are are leaving their jobs anymore, but this song was written in 2022. I can't tell you what month. Um, and that was still, you know, we were kind of in the thick of people quitting their jobs for better opportunities and entrepreneurship and whatever. And I do wonder if one of the reasons why this song is so popular is because it coincided with this movement, uh, in America yeah. anyways, of people uh not that the whole thing's about quitting your job, but but you know, that sort of empowerment of like, hey, you're not gonna break my soul, I'm gonna I'm gonna find my way. So Yeah, I mean the, the whole song is about recalibrating,
0: I think. Yeah. Right. New foundation, new and That vibration. was the feeling
1: after the pandemic, right? Like it really captured that ethos, logos. Right,
0: absolutely. One of the reasons, too, that Beyoncé was not at the BET Awards to accept the award for this song is because she's on tour. Yeah. Um, And partially she's on tour because she skipped a bunch of tour time during the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Good point.
0: Last interesting detail about this song that Madala, like, lays out so beautifully in his article about this is that there is another song by Robin S. And that song is called Show Me Love. And the writers of that song have songwriting credit on this song, even though that song is from the 1990s. Some people notice this, that this song, Break My Soul, has a similar feel and groove to the song, Show Me Love. It also uses the exact same synth tone. That um, that tone, it's, I'm not playing the same tone here, but the same tone is used in both of these songs. And Madala breaks down how that the musical material here is not the same. Sure, it's the same instrument. Sure, it's a similar tempo. Sure, it's four on the floor. But the harmony is distinctly different. The melody of the synth line is also distinctly different. And so he asked the question, why would they get songwriting credit? And he references the Blurred Lines case from a while ago. Um, which we haven't discussed in large at the show. We'll talk more about another day. But this was a Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke copyright infringement of a Marvin Gaye song, which, funnily enough, they admitted that, like, yes, that song was our inspiration for this song. However, we don't think that we used any of the same exact musical material. We used a cowbell and a similar groove, but different chords and a different melody and entirely different subject matter. Right. But the court actually ruled in favor of the Marvin Gaye estate and said, "Okay, we got to add Marvin Gaye's name to songwriting credits and share royalties from the Blurred Line song with the Marvin Gaye estate. Lots of interesting implications of that. I um, if you're interested in more, Adam Neely is a YouTube artist who um, does really great explanations of copyright law. He has a great one about a Katy Perry song that's called. You can't own the minor scale, (laughs) which really, really speaks to me as a person who understands these things. The short argument here is that if I use words that are similar to words that somebody else uses, is that copyright infringement? If I say I have a dream and give a speech and don't credit Martin Luther King Jr. in any way— that's absolutely copyright infringement. It's a very, very specific idea that I've literally taken and used myself, right? But if I say, I dream about things, and I dream about a world that might be a little bit better than the world we have now, is that copyright infringement? And so with if I'm using the same exact instrument, it's like... Oh, you used a saxophone to play that melody. I used a saxophone to play a similar melody. You're infringing upon my rights. One of the things that always influences this, as I said in our last episode, is money. I um, <laughs> again, money comes up again and sometimes well, like- to me, money feels like it ruins everything because it's like, well, <laughs> I do need credit on this because you're making so much fucking money and my song didn't make as much money, right? Mm. Um, Simon and Garfunkel. Right, right.
1: Reference that episode.
0: So he, he brings up the difference in the article. He brings up the difference between sampling, where you take an existing recording and use pieces of that recording and manipulate it in your own song, and interpolation. Interpolation being where you replay and re record the same musical material from another song in your new song. Here, Beyonce has done neither of those things. She's allowed a groove to influence her. She's used the same instrument, which, of course, like, you know, fucking every time you use the drums, you're going to have to, like, get sued. Like, no, that's not how it works. I have many that's, lawsuits how out there work. pending. Right <laughs> All right. So, uh, Madala makes an awesome conclusion about this, I think, too. He says this, quote, On the positive side, by including the names of the Show Me Love... Songwriters on Beyonce's song, Robin S. is benefiting from a resurgence in interest in her music, which is much deserved. There is real value in artists openly acknowledging their influences, and we should commend Beyonce and her team for helping to steer listeners towards music they might not have otherwise heard. End quote. And I wrote about this. Yeah, baby, that's what our show's mission is about, too name influences, experience the unexperienced. And, and I connect this absolutely to Simon and Garfunkel and Martin Carthy. He like came up with an arrangement of a centuries-old song. And Paul Simon performed the same song with a very similar but not totally the same arrangement. And Martin Carthy, it seemed like, was not so upset about, you know, being stolen from, but a little upset of being like, Yo, bro, we we practiced that together. You learned that from me. Why didn't you, like, shout out my name a little bit, you know? And same with Paul Simon in the Swan Silvertones, inspiring Bridge Over Troubled Water. Later on, Paul Simon felt obliged to give these people credit and money for what that was. Here, Beyonce's team said, let's just list them as songwriting credit, which, as Madala points out, Um, it certainly worked for me. I had never heard of Robin S before. I'm listening to some of her grooves. I'm like, oh yeah, cool music, cool groove. And isn't that a cool thing that you can do if you're Beyonce, right? It's like, um, she has the power to direct people to whatever she kind of wants to direct them to. So I'm very glad that she uses that power occasionally to lift up. In fact, I think she does this a lot with new artists, with new singers and, and other, um, Female artists, especially, she's lifting up people who she's who she's like. I like these people. Why don't you check them out too? I happen to have billions of followers online. Why don't I tell them about this other person and they'll they'll take that seriously merely by the merit that they love my stuff so much. With great power, maybe comes great responsibility. And I would say Beyonce is using hers responsibly. For me,
1: now, do you think I'm gonna be the cynical? conspiracy theorist do, do you think that it could just be the the lawyers you know all Beyonce's lawyers were like let's let's put this credit on here so we don't get sued um and I'm taking this idea from the article a little bit that was right one right possibility that that he called out there um, let's preemptively add credit so that you can't say we didn't give credit yeah I mean
0: I would imagine there must be some aspect of the team who's like why don't we just do this? Because the only reason not to do that would be, well, we want all the royalty money from Break My Soul to go to us. I could imagine having an internal discussion where Beyonce might've said, guys, we're, we're already billionaires. Why don't we just, okay. give, her <laughs> just give her credit?
1: Credit where credit's due.
0: And that, that would be the argument that would make sense to me. But yeah, sure, I mean, not everybody in the Beyonce Empire probably gets paid the same amount of money, so maybe there were elements too who were like, just needing to do this to save money in the long run from a potential lawsuit. Yeah, and it um, is a it's a funky thing. It's a thing that will stay appraised of. From th- there are lots of smart people talking about this. People who are more knowledgeable about it than me. Oh, and me. I am interested to see how copyright law evolves on this issue, because again, to me, it seems like. Sometimes the fundamental grammar of music shouldn't be owned by any individuals, yeah. and so to somehow make claims that way, but again, I, I get confused because I'm thinking the only reason this matters is because of how we want to share money around how we need to send money different places yeah if if somehow that wasn't an object, then what Beyonce does make sense, right? But if for me, I'm not a famous recording artist. If I was making new music and I had to list everyone I thought was an influence on that song in the songwriting credits, and then like, you know, 200 of my friends pay five dollars, and so I make a thousand dollars from my album, and then I have to send like, you know two percent to Beyonce and two percent to Prince and two percent to Frank Sinatra estate, and I'm like, now there's no fucking money left for my measly thousand dollars that I made in the first place. So it's a complicated, it's interesting interesting how this is an intersection of philosophy, law, and creativity, right? It's like, well, who, this is actually a metaphysical question, I think. Who owns the frequencies and the rhythms in this song? Can I be said to have created, (laughs) could anyone have said to be created that rhythm four fucking four on the floor like a thing that our brains are just programmed to say one two three yeah yeah how deep do you
1: go right like how much do you need of the same do you it it is then you're like stealing from right it's like yeah and that's the extreme example i I don't know man i do remember going back to cds i do remember like reading on a lot of cd covers like the bands with a list their influences on there and i was just thought that was cool yeah. I, th- I thought that was like a fun, like, oh, here's who they were influenced by. But I wonder now if that was a strategic listing uh, to provide credit where credit was due to avoid people getting angry. Yeah. I never thought I've, about that before until right now.
0: I feel strongly that giving credit where credit is due is so beneficial.
1: Yeah. It, it's gratitude. It helps.
0: It's gratitude and it also reduces this idea of the individual as somehow all-powerful, right? Yeah. It's like, I did this. I did yeah. it by myself, right? Which I just, the the older I get, the more I learn about people and art, the more I think that's just ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it's like,
0: no, it's, it's yeah. to my mind, it's never, even the person who is going there and playing all the instruments and singing all the harmony parts and doing all the audio engineering, I still don't even think that that person is really, you know, Doing that monolithically, doing it by themselves, doing it without the help of parents who allowed them to do that, right? Like doing that without friends who offer them feedback, doing that without other music that they listen to that gets them inspired. Do I think that means they should give money to all those people? I have no fucking idea. That's the <laughs> question. That's that's complicated, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so let's close. Dude, awesome. Yeah, I got, I got. We derailed that. That was good though. I like that.
0: Let's close with an homage to two of my favorite singers, Beyonce and Frank Sinatra. I'll say too that Frank Sinatra does not often do a lick like, la. He won't do a big melisma like that. You know, maybe a few notes here and there. Melisma. And I decided, as I Sinatrafied this, that I wanted to include at least one little melisma, in the style of Beyonce, through Frank's voice, uh, trying to make this more of a fusion. We'll see what you think.
2: Hmm.
1: We go round in
2: circles Round in circles Searching for love We go up and down Lost and found Searching for love for something that lives inside of me looking for something that lives inside of me you won't break my soul you won't break soul you won't break my soul you won't
1: Thank you, brother. So good, dude. I appreciate that melisma in there. I felt like I felt like I was there when Sinatra and Beyoncé met. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool?
0: I would I would listen to a Frank Beyoncé duet. I bet you, you could make that work. Thanks for listening. To help us dig deeper and spread more love to more music and people, consider supporting us at patreon.com/slash philosophically sound. Send us your voices singing the theme, the theme song of this podcast. The, there are going to be new materials released on the podcast feed to help you practice singing and help you know the technical know-how of recording that. So please send us your voices. We want to collaborate with you. Email your requests, critiques, and questions to Podcast at gmail.com philosophically sound is researched produced and recorded by gus and tony audio editing and musical analysis by tony we
2: are fucking professionals
0: thanks my brother i love you love you
1: too brother